Well, that uh, is incredibly humbling, Pastor Eric. Thank you. And Pastor Aaron, <clears throat> it's an absolute privilege to, uh, to be with you guys today. And I see some faces, but so many new faces. Um, it's incredible. And uh, I love what God is doing in Millvale. And uh, guess what? Millvale Element Church, you guys are in my prayers every day. I think of you... Uh, I'll tell you what, I, I honestly, like, I'm, I'm so proud of the job that Pastor Aaron and, and Eric are doing here at, at Element Church, and, um, and the rest of the team, and you guys, you know, like, you guys are, are still, you've taken it not just, you've not just maintained what, what was done in the past, but you've taken it to a whole other level, haven't they? You love your pastors? Aren't these guys amazing? And I know that they, they share that with uh, everybody on the leadership team and, those, and everybody who serves here. I know that that is, um, I know that's what Element Church is all about. It's all about family. It's all about being family. And uh, I got to tell you, one of the hardest days of my life was starting up the U-Haul truck and driving away from this place. Um, but how many know that when God speaks, you go? When God calls, you answer. When he directs and leads, you have to follow. Um, it, it would not be good for anybody to step out of God's plan for your life and for their life. So uh, there are times that God calls us to those things. But I'll tell you, I'm so thankful that you guys are here. And I love how God's using you. And uh, I get to kind of peep in on, uh, on your live services sometimes, or I'll catch them later in the week and get to kind of stay caught up and uh, still feel somewhat connected. And uh, it's been awesome. But honestly, when I think of Element Church, when I think of Millville, I'm just, I'm just proud. I feel like a proud papa who, uh, who never delivered a baby. It's still here, just so you know. <laughs> All right, we'll move on from talking about my largeness. Um, let me talk to you just for a couple of minutes. Let me give you um, just kind of a heads up about my family. Some of you might be wondering some of the things that have changed. And the first thing that changed since we left is the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. You almost cheered. Uh, yeah, it was better than Patriots. At least we defeated Goliath for you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of fun to see some of you almost cheering for the Eagles. That was neat. Um, <laughs> Uh, my wife, Jody, right here, we've been married now 27 years, and, and Jody, uh, I'm going to tell how old you are, she just turned 50 this week on Wednesday, yeah, so she looks good, I think, uh, you're not bad for an almost grandma, and uh, <laughs> But she's working now at a, at a preschool called the Malvern School. It's kind of this elite school where richy rich people take their little brats. And uh, Jody kind of <laughs> beats their wills into submission. Not the children, their wills, okay? Um, but she kind of teaches them, you know, what's right and what's wrong to the best of her ability. Um, but that's, that's where she works. And uh, actually, JoLynn also works at the same school. So they're both uh, teachers at that school. So it's kind of nice for mom and daughter to be together. Uh, mom, mom and Pop Pop, those of you might remember, Jody's mom and dad who used to attend here and were part, so much a part of what went on. Um, Pop 
went to be with the Lord about, what was it, three years ago, right? Three years ago on Christmas Day. Uh, so that guy's been ruining holidays for me my entire life. <laughs> right? Well, not my whole life, her whole life. No, for real, he would get sick and go to the hospital on a holiday. It was like he was aiming for it, I think. But, um, but no more. He's with, he's with the Lord, and, um, you know, we're sad every time we think of him. You know, I think of him every time I go to eat, uh, go to an all-you-can-eat taco bar. You guys remember going for tacos? That guy could eat tacos like nobody's business. He went home one night smelling like the restaurant all night long. His mom, his, uh, and Jody's mom was like, you're never going again. We snuck him out anyway. But, uh, <laughs> um, and, and mom Beatty, mom, mom, she's, uh, she's doing really well. She's with, uh, she spends time with our family and uh, does lots of things that Jody and I aren't able to do. And she was a big part of the church when we went back and started uh, the church there, or restarted the church. That's what we went to do in Philly. Um, Again, Jolyn, we talked about her. She's, uh, she's teaching with Jody at the Malvern School. A year ago, May, she got married uh, to a guy named Davey. Are you ready for this? His last name? Crapser. Now, as a father-in-law and as a dad of a little girl, right? Not little girl, but as a dad of my daughter, you know, like, I, of course I'm going to pick on this guy, but set me up with the last name Crapser? Are you kidding me? That's too easy. So, uh, <laughs> I tried to convince him to take the last name Jones, then he could be Davy Jones. <laughs> Makes sense. But no, my daughter is now a crapser. So, and uh, they're getting ready to have a baby in October. So, uh, that means that, yeah, my, no, no, no. I'm not going to be grandpa. I already decided. What are you going to be? And I'm going to be Sir. That's what the kid. All right, Sir. All right, Sir Taco is going to be my name. Can't wait to hear this kid call me Sir Taco in public. You know, it's going to be good. Um, and then <laughs> they're naming the baby. So you'll like this. Her husband, and I don't know how we let this happen, but he's a Giants fan. I don't know what we were thinking, or I don't know what she was thinking, right? So he's a Giants fan. Our daughter is an Eagles fan, and uh, so they're naming their child Eli Carson after the quarterbacks, although Eli just got benched, so eh, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do there. So, uh, it, so let's talk about Jackie. Jackie graduated from high school with a 4.0. She's a little nerd, and uh, we think she's adopted, <laughs> to tell you the truth, um, but... Um, but yeah, she uh, 4.0 also graduated with a cos with her cosmetology license from tech school. Uh, she's incredibly smart and super busy, and now she's at the University of Tampa studying to be a forensic science. So hopefully she'll put me in a good home someday when I lose my marbles, right? Um, <laughs> like next week. Um, <laughs> So what did we do? Where did we go? We went to Philly. We restarted a church. It was like a, it's a 70-year-old church. We, so we called it a 70-year-old church plant, um, which is not normal. You know, it's like starting a new church. And how do you do that when all you have are 12 senior citizens? Um, well, that, you do that with the grace of God. And God helped us um, kind of turn that church into more of a family church with uh, young adults and, and families and, you know, people of all ages, ethnicities, um, uh, and we did that for, for quite some time. We moved there to do that, and uh, 
Um, we ran out of, actually after doing it, it's so expensive in the part of the city that we're in that we ran out of money to pay any salary. So uh, I ended up getting a job. I was working for the University of Valley Forge in managing their conference center. And I did that for uh, about a year and a half without, uh, without any pay at the church. And quite honestly, it just kind of like, it just stretched me beyond the demands of the work at my paying job just pulled me to the point where I couldn't be a good pastor or a good father or a good uh, husband. So I just really felt like something had to change. So I stepped away from pastoring in February. And uh, that was, again, one of the hardest things that I had to do. Um, but I knew it was the right thing. How many know that some of the, sometimes the hard things are the right things? So I had to do the right thing in being a, a husband and a father to my daughter before she went off to school. And um, wanted to give her some great memories. So we did that, and uh, we've been looking for churches. So we're kind of in this like transitional phase where we don't know what we're doing, to be honest. Um, in August, my job ended. So I don't, uh, I don't work for the conference center anymore, for the university anymore. So now, uh, now I drive an Uber all the time, all over the place, all over the city of Philly, to some neighborhoods you don't want to be in crazy areas. People have gotten in my car and offered me drugs and all kinds of other things. And I'm like, do you know I'm a pastor? What's wrong with you? You know, it doesn't matter, does it? Sin shows itself. But you know what's been great is God's used me even in those places um, to be able to be a witness and to pray with people and uh, that type of thing. So honestly, it's felt like everything that we had over the last few years has kind of been taken away. And then Pastor Eric calls and goes, I want you to preach on lamentations. And I'm like, dude, I could write lamentations right now. That's how I feel. Like, I can tell you some stories. And we talked a little bit on the phone, and Pastor Eric's like, let me sing you my chapter. And you know, he starts to tell me all the crazy things that have happened in his life. How many know that the bad things happen in this life? Right? You're, you're living with some of the consequences. And, you know, it might be a lost job or it might be uh, someone who's passed away and someone who's died or some relationship that's broken apart. And today you feel like, God, what is going on? I don't have the answers. God, I've tried everything and nothing is working. God, I feel like sometimes even when I pray to you, God, I'm on your team and I don't even feel like you're there. Are you even listening? Sometimes it feels like this video. I got robbed by a sweet old lady on a motorized cart. I didn't even see it coming. Oh, Harry. Oh, Harry. Oh, come on, Harry. You're up. It's worse, Lloyd. My parakeet, Petey. Huh? He's dead. Oh. oh, man. I'm sorry, Harry. What happened? His head fell off. His head fell off? <laughs> yeah, he was pretty old. Oh, that's it. I've had it with this dump. We got no food, we got no jobs, our pets' heads are falling off! <laughs> I had to do something to lighten the mood in this joint, right? 
But isn't that it? Our pets' heads are falling off. Come on. That's how it feels some days. And, you know, this is, this is what the people of God were experiencing in Lamentations. They were just, like, crying out to God. Because, you know, in chapter before, in uh, chapter 3, we see that the, the passage kind of lends itself to him talking about how if God is faithful to bring wrath, he's also faithful to bring deliverance. And he finds hope in that. And so, you know, today, you know, if you can find hope, um, I think you can also find company in the fact that chapter four goes back to a little bit more complaining. So we're going to look at, look at this because that's kind of what it's like. We know there's hope. We know that God is there. But sometimes, man, sometimes life is just rough. And, um, you know, it's important to have some perspective on this. And we're saying, God, I'm on your side. God, please come through. God, I know that we deserve wrath, but God, could you just show a little mercy here in my life? You know, it's, you know, let's give it some perspective of what it's really like. It's like, you feel this, don't you? The Steelers last year went nine and six and didn't make the playoffs. No, 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 no. You're not hearing me. Not only did they not make the playoffs, do you remember opening Sunday when they tied the Browns? Right, that hurts, doesn't it? I know it does. Um, and then, if you look at the standings, there are three other teams in front, and in including the Browns. And then there's the Steelers. That's awful. I know for a Steeler fans that that is frustrating, right? Um, God's wrath kind of feels like that. I know, I'm joking, trying to keep it a little bit light, but you got to understand that that Israel had a covenant with God, they had a deal with God, and God's wrath that was being poured out was actually him being just to what he said would happen. It's like a parent who says, if you this, then fill in the blank, right? I'm going to lock you in the closet, right? Is that what good parent? I'm just kidding, right? Um, but parents threaten all kinds of things, but it's a parent who actually comes through. And uh, that's what's going on here. God's wrath, God's judgment, and there's justice when he does what he says he's going to do. They knew that they were going to reap the results of what their ancestors and what they themselves had planted. And this is exactly what they're feeling in verse 1. It says, how the gold has lost its luster. Even the finest gold has become dull. The sacred gemstones lie scattered in the streets. So even the most precious things that they had felt like garbage, felt like it was worthless. Verse 2, see how the precious children of Jerusalem, worth their weight in fine gold, are now treated like pots of clay made by a common potter, right? Pots of clay made by a common potter, something that would be, you know, when it would break, you'd go, oh, well, I'll go to Dollar General and get another one, right? Something that is just, well, when it breaks, you just step on it, like, um, like peanut shells in a restaurant that just scatter underneath your feet. As you walk over them, unless you got an allergy, that's another thing. Um, verse three, even the jackals feed their young, right? But not my people Israel. They ignore their children's cries like ostriches in the desert. The parched tongues of their little ones stick to the roofs of their mouths in thirst. The children cry for bread, but no one has given any or has any to give them. So the children are being mistreated. The most precious in any culture are being mistreated and even starved to death. Verse 5, it says, The people who once ate the richest foods now beg in the streets for anything they can get. Those who once wore the finest clothes now search the garbage dumps 
for food, all the wealth and prosperity that used to be seen in their culture and in their generation and in their people. Now, these people of, of great stature, people who had everything, now they're digging through the trash with the low, lower class people in the community, right? Desperate times call for desperate measures. And so people who had everything now have nothing, and everybody is just scavenging to survive. Verse 6, the guilt of my people is greater than Sodom. Where is utter disaster, or where utter disaster struck in a moment and no hand offered help? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament, um, where God um, basically warned that this evil city was going to face the wrath of God, was going to face destruction if they didn't turn from God. And so God allowed Lot and his family to escape. And as they were escaping, the story of Lot's wife, she turned back because she missed the city so much. And her heart was not towards where God was calling her, but towards there. And what happened, she turned to a pillar of salt. But there was a, a firestorm that came down and destroyed that city. And so they're saying that, um, that in this situation that, um, I'm losing my place here. I'm so sorry. Um, Sodom, where was it? Did I change pages? I'll start at verse 6 again. The guilt of my people is greater than that of Sodom. There it is. Uh, where utter disaster struck in a moment and no hand offered help. Our princes once glowed with health, brighter than snow, whiter than milk. Their faces were as ruddy as babies. Their appearance like fine jewels. But now their faces are blacker than soot. No one recognizes them in the streets. Their skin sticks to their bones. It's as dry and hard as wood. Those killed by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. Starving, they waste away for lack of food from the fields. Tender-hearted women have cooked their own children. They have eaten them to survive the siege. What would it take for a mama bear to not only sacrifice her child, but then to turn to cannibalism? This is the kind of hopelessness you know, this is what he's doing in this chapter. The, the writer is contrasting. This is how bad it was, but look how bad it's gotten. Look at how horrible things were. You think life was bad before. Look what it's become for us. And that's why he returns, I believe, in chapter 4 to this kind of lamenting and this kind of storytelling to, to us. Um, there's guilt, you know, compared to Sodom, right? They're guilty of what they've done, just like Sodom was guilty of the sins their town committed. And he's understanding that the deplorable actions lead to devastating results. You've seen this in your life or maybe in someone else's lives. You've done something, you've been convicted of it, and it's taken its toll on your life. And this is what he's saying. He's lost everything. There's famine and, and really unspeakable things are being done. They'd be better off dead than have to bear all this. And I think it's out of this brokenness and this kind of loss that you and I feel from time to time, um, sometimes for longer periods of time. It's in these times that we feel some very common things, don't we? We feel fear because we're afraid of what we have lost. We're afraid we'll never get it back. And we're afraid that maybe things could even get worse. How many have ever said the words, you know, like, it can't get any worse? Those are the famous last words of someone who's about to see it get worse, aren't they? 
almost self-fulfilling prophecy in those moments, right? Um, panic kind of clouds our judgment. Why do, why do things like that happen many times? Because in those moments of fear, we'll react in a way that we normally wouldn't react. We would normally walk in wisdom, but when we're in a place of loss and, and we're in a place of desperation, we'll do desperate things to make sure that we see what, you know, hopefully God's going to come through. And sometimes we'll try to move the hand of God, try to get things done the only way we know how. And that many times prohibits us from making those sound decisions. When all seems lost, sometimes we not only move in fear, but we move in insecurity, right? We don't know what way to go. James tells us that the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, you know? And basically what that means, if you don't know where to go, sometimes you're just going wherever you can to figure things out. There's an overwhelming feeling that we can't deal with the situation. The third thing is loneliness. When, when, when we get lost, when all gets lost, sometimes we feel loneliness. It's a terrible feeling that God has abandoned us. We think that God has left us, feel like no one's willing to help. And even people who are the most proud of doing everything themselves, when all seems lost, they'll call out to God. Don't they? Those are some of the moments that drag us to our knees and get us to a place of surrender. And I know none of us would many times choose that, but that's what takes us there. Um, and I think there's a couple things to remember when God in these situa- has us in these situations. Not that God takes us there intentionally, but I'll tell you, God will use some of these circumstances and some of these situations to do a work in us. And I think Tra- uh, tragedy and devastation is often the, the start or the beginning of God's rebuilding process in our lives, right? You've seen it with buildings. Sometimes a building is so, um, is so beyond repair that you'll level the building so that you can start over. Sometimes it's not the frame of the building that needs taken completely out, but sometimes it's just everything inside. How many have ever heard someone gutting a building, right? That's why they do it, right? You, like all of the systems, the, the water systems, the you know, electricity, the HVAC systems, everything needs to be redone. It needs to be rebuilt from the ground up. And so that's what they'll do is they'll rebuild it. But, you know, the good news is this, that our God is an expert builder. Do you know that? That God has a way, even in those times when we've been busted down to the ground, God has a way of building and reformatting our lives in a way that brings us back even stronger than before. Um, the building process is always difficult. It never comes easy. I know when we were, we were taking possession of this building and going through that whole process, it was not easy. Um, and, and in Philly, when we did the same thing with another old building and we had to like gut this thing out completely, it took so much longer than we expected. It cost way more than we ever thought it would. And we thought we would never see the completion of that building. And there's a process that's difficult, but we go through it. It feels brutal sometimes. Lamentations chapter four, verse 11 continues. But now the anger of the Lord is satisfied. His fierce anger has been poured out. He started a fire in Jerusalem that burned the city to its foundations. Not a king in all the earth, no one in all the world would have believed that an enemy could march through the gates of Jerusalem. And this is what they thought. They thought this will never happen here. You know, even though God had told them and warned them and said, turn or burn, basically, he had warned them. And yet they continued in their sin. The ultimate was that God would bring justice and would bring judgment 
upon them. And uh, they never thought it would happen. Yet it happened, it says in verse 13, because of the sins of her prophets and the sins of her priests who defiled the city by shedding innocent blood. They wandered blindly through the streets, so defiled by blood that no one dared to touch them. Get away, the people shouted. You're defiled. Don't touch us. So they fled to distant lands and wandered among foreign nations, but no one would let them stay. The Lord himself has scattered them, and he no longer helps them. People show no respect for the priests and no longer honor the leaders. We looked in vain for our allies to come and save us, but we were looking to nations that could not help us. They were even looking to people on the outside to come and save them. They were like, well, if God's not going to do it, maybe we can do this ourselves, right? Maybe we can help ourselves, and it wasn't working, right? No one would come. We couldn't go into the streets without danger to our lives. Our end was near. Our days were numbered. We were doomed. Our enemies were swifter than eagles in flight. If we fled to the mountains, they found us. If we hid in the wilderness, they were there. They were waiting for us there. O king, our king, the Lord's anointed, the very life of our nation was caught in their snares. We had thought that his shadow would protect us against any nation on earth. They thought that they were all good. They thought that they were God's people, and that was enough. But you know, it's not just enough to have the last name. You've got to be part of the family. And I feel like sometimes we think, well, God, you know, God's let me get away with this in the past. God's let me go this far without punishing me or bringing me to judgment on this. And we just continue in our sin, don't we, until something happens and then we're dragged to our knees and we find that everything is lost. And that's where Israel's at in this. And then I, I turn to the next, uh, the next two verses, the ending verses of this chapter, and I want to read them to you from the RST. Or the RST, it says, Are you rejoicing in the land of rust, O people of Cleveland? Wait a minute, I, I didn't explain. This is the revised Steelers edition. So for those of you that feel like I was too hard on the Steelers, you'll like this. Here it goes. Are you rejoicing in the land of rust, O people of Cleveland? But you too must drink from the cup of the Lord's anger. You too will be stripped naked by Odell Beckham Jr.'s antics. Oh, beautiful Pittsburgh, your punishment will end. You will soon return for your seventh Lombardi. But Cleveland, your punishment is just beginning. And you will never darken the doorposts of a Super Bowl Sunday. You like that, don't you? Some trans I see a little note here. You've seen this in the Bible. There's like a little addition, like a footnote. It says, some translations also add a, in quotes, doom and destruction to the patriots. So I don't know. <laughs> is that complete now? You feel that? This is what's going on in the last two verses. It really is. But it's not to the city of Cleveland. I hope Cleveland doesn't face destruction, except the football team. I know you guys want that. Um, but verse 21 and 22 says, are you rejoicing in the land of us, you people of Eden? Edom, but you too must drink from the cup of the Lord's anger. You too will be stripped naked in your drunkenness. Oh, beautiful Jerusalem, your punishment will end. You will soon return from exile, but Edom, your punishment is just beginning. Soon your many sins will be exposed. You know, when, when all is lost, you know, you know we find this, these guys like saying, you know, like, hey, look, you know, don't, don't be taking it out on us because all this has happened here. Guess what? 
you guys. It's coming for you next is what they're saying. And, you know, he's saying there's, there's plenty of destruction to go around for all of us. But I think there's two things that we got to remember. When destruction comes our way, when hard times come our way, number one, remember this, our enemy is faithful. That's not good news, is it? How many know the devil's going to do what the devil's going to do? Some of you say, I don't believe in the devil. I'll tell you today, the devil's real. Evil is real. And uh, you may not realize it, but the devil has a purpose and a plan for your life. You're used to hearing that about God, that God has a purpose and a plan for your life, plans to bless you and to not harm you, to give you a hope and a future, right? We're used to hearing that. But I want you to know that the enemy of your soul has a purpose and a plan for your destruction. And he is faithful to try to bring it to pass in your life. But the better news is this, that our God is faithfuler, right? He's more faithful. God is ultimately faithful in our lives. And even when we find ourselves hopeless, that God will not leave us or forsake us, as Deuteronomy 31 verse 8 tells us, or in Romans 8 verses 35 to 39, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or desperate in danger, or threatened with death. As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. Listen, what he says is in verse 39, that no power in the sky or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, right? Um, that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the promise. How many need to know that today, that God promises us today, that even through the destruction and the horrible things that are going on, I can tell you that in in the Jones family, Jody and I right now, um, we don't know a whole lot about what's next, but we know that God is leading us, and we're going to follow him, and we're going to see God's provision once again. And I believe that for you, and I want to pray that for you today as we wrap up. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes?